G'day podcast listeners, want to fully appreciate you again and say thank you for listening in to the content that we're putting out every day. Hey listen, I'm not sure if you know yet, but tickets for the Kingdom Business Summit 2020 are now available and I would love you to jump in there early and go and grab your tickets. There's an insane, crazy ticket offer available for a short time. It's just $79 for one ticket and cheaper if you buy multiple. That's a small amount of money to let me and a team of world-class business people invest in you for two whole days. There's going to be worship, there's going to be ministry, and of course, practical business training. So why don't you jump over to kingdombusiness.com.au, that's kingdombusiness.com.au, and grab your ticket early because the cities will sell out. Anyway, thanks for listening. Let's cut to today's bit of content, and I want to appreciate you again and say thanks for all of the time you invest. All right, Craig, where should we start with this? This The retail environment is in catastrophe in Australia. Um, last week we had Bardo uh, go into administration. Yep. Uh, this week Harris Scarf went yesterday, uh, and a whole bunch of others. So, so let's talk about that. Well, it's interesting because obviously this time of year we're all thinking about going to the shops. You know, what, what are we going to buy everyone for for Christmas? But we as business owners, we're going to limit our spending, aren't we? Because Absolutely. we're going to spend our money on Facebook ads. I hope so. Well, other other types of ads, maybe not Facebook ads, but um, but uh, do, maybe make your your loved ones a macaroni like thing out of macaroni, and that's their gift for the. Yep. Uh, so Harris scarf. So looking at the retail landscape because it's an interesting place to that actually sort of, I suppose, gives us a bit of a forecast as to what's happening in our economy. Yep. But also. Um, we can learn some great lessons as business owners. Harris Scarf, a uh, big retailer, um, 66 stores. Um, 1,800 a, team, 1,800. Ridiculous. Now, what I actually find funny, and I actually wanted to ask you about this, is they were literally bought Not- nine days ago by a, by a private equity firm. Now I know that the so what I what I find interesting about that is the previous company that sold them wanted to they own Freedom Furniture and Fantastic Furniture and they wanted to get rid of all their you know I suppose um, general merchandising stores and focus on on uh, furniture which is which is an interesting take um, but why would someone buy something then nine days what nine days later then go into receivership what would have been their there, because they would have done the due diligence to whether they were going to buy it, first of all. Yep. Why? Because they didn't want it. It was always the plan. Because, and actually, it's in one of these papers. They didn't say it implicitly, but they said in here, it was a, they didn't get the luxury of buy the, buying the other brands independently. So the seller was selling a job lot. Yep. And they knew in their due diligence that they were buying it and they were putting it straight into administration. They did not want it. In this particular case, now the, as the stand, they would they would have a PR company on hand to be able to handle this. They they hide behind the standard answer everybody does. Once we got to look at the books, we realised it's 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 not viable. It's worse than we thought, and so we'd rather do that. But there would have been no, like with a buyer like that, you can see the books, can't you? Yes, that they they in their due diligence, they would have known everything. That's yeah. why that's why we know that that's just a throwaway line come up with a bad PR agency, <laughs> right? But. So, so in that particular case, now it's the second time they've been in administration. Yes. So they, I think it was like 2001 or something. Yeah. When, yeah. Um, they got saved by a company and by you know, and then and then they traded. Um, 
Now, interestingly enough, I, I could probably say that I've never been into a store in my life. I mean, they're not big up on, up on they're mostly Tassie, South Australia. But I went into one the other day. There's one that's not far from here. And I went into one the other day and, and I got it. The, the experience was pretty rubbish. Yes. Like the lady was old and that's not, that's not a reflection, but she was cantankerous and yeah. miserable. And she hated the fact that I had a child with me that might have pulled something off a shelf. And it was slow and there was no vibe, right? So just saying, like... Yeah, well, they, because they, I mean, as even before buying it and, and dumping it, they were failing beforehand. It, was, it wasn't like that they were going great guns and they tanked because of this buyout. Was it because, I mean, I look at them and I'm like, they have no, I, I suppose, brand. They have no, I don't identify with them as anything. Because you're not 50 and plus, that would be why. Because they've been around, they're a legacy brand that have been around for a long time. But, you know, it's funny because everyone in the papers are slinging mud at the seller and the buyer. Yeah. Right? And, and, the, and, the, and the rhetoric is another VC company who could not care about jobs, just asset stripping, yada, yada. You can throw mud at those two parties, but the problem is the business doesn't work. Yeah. The business doesn't work. So, um, why? What do you think it was wrong with their business model? Well, I think that that starts an interesting conversation because rather than just go to them, I think there's a general problem at play. So I did a little bit of research into the recent companies that have gone under, okay? Yeah. And just to name a few, right, we've got Flannery's, that, which is like a Whole Foods up, yeah, upmarket brand. That, that, yeah. that one surprised me. Yeah. Napoleon Purtis, the, the makeup artist, mm -hmm. okay, which I think I've spoken on the show before about why I think it went under. It went from little middle of the mall, um, you know, kind of like booths to massive shops. And, yep. and the economies are not there. My guess is it just became an ego play. Mm -hmm. um, Roger David went under. Toys R Us went under. Esprit went under. Max Brenner went under. Ed Harry, Crabtree and Evelyn, Bardot. Bardot was only last week or whatever. So, so, so... There's some pretty significant names. And some of them have been around a long time. Now, on the verge of going under, David Jones, Maya, Harvey Norman, right? And if Harvey's you, gone. Well... Yes, because they keep screaming poor. Like, why is it that all these issues and, you know, they want to get GST added on to small purchases over, you know, online so that they can compete. The reason why they're complaining so much is because their business model doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. So they, they may still be mildly profitable, but they're, they're in a declining business. <clears throat> and I hope they can work it out. Would, yeah. You know, I hope they work it out. But you take a, a businesses like David Jones and Meyer. The only reason why they're still here, they, they've been in trouble since 2010. They've just been selling their real estate. So they, you know, they might own, you know, whatever beautiful bit of real estate in Burke Street Mall. They'll just spin that out and sell it and, and keep going. So they can only do that for so long though, right? Because once you've sold all your assets, you've got nothing left. So, so, uh, so coming back to that question of why do you think it went wrong? I think... Flannery's, I don't think, I don't think would be the same reason. And Max Brenner would be out of this list. But when I look at, you know, Bardo, Crabtree, Ed Harry, Esprit, Roger David, it's the same thing. It's the fact that what's unique about them? Yeah. And I think, as I'm thinking about the businesses going well, the ones that aren't, there has to now, like USP, unique selling proposition, is the screaming deciding factor on whether they work or not, yep. right? So if you look at Harris Scarf and you compare them to 
um, you know, whoever is in their space. In fact, one of the papers says it. They, they're, H&M, I suppose. No, 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 no they're, they're more like, um, you know, Best and Less and, and, and all those kind of shops, yep. you know, those. Kmart and. Yeah. Yep. Well, 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 what's unique about Harris Scarf? If you want cups and glassware and bed linen, you've got a choice of 10 major players. Yep. So what set them apart? Because, I mean, this is something I've been banging on forever for every business, right? If you cannot con- own a bit of the mind of your prospect with a word or a phrase or a uniqueness or something, why would they shop with you? Mm. You are you're fracturing your dollar so much. Um, you know, and, and if I look at those kind of, you know, whatever, homeware type stores, what innovation have they done in a five to ten year window? I'm going to go with next to nothing. Now, they might say, oh, we've our point of sale system and we developed an app. Yeah, but you're a retail store. So when I walk in, what am I thinking about you that makes you stand out over everybody else in your space? We have shopping centers full of businesses that are competing with Harris Scarf. Why them? They needed to do something to stand out, right? And that, and I don't know what it would have been, but why seven years ago they should have targeted a younger audience? That would have been a start. Um, you know, it, you know, whatever. Um, I think I think that's that's the big deciding factor for me, right? You know, Ed Harry, Ed Harry and Ed Hardy. Okay, um, two different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> but there's nothing unique about them. Like 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 Roger David. I, I can go and buy slacks and square blue shirts from one of thirty two places. Why them, right? It, now, what's interesting about Roger David? They were probably one of the first on the scene in Australia to have a menswear store that was priced well. But then there was 50, so they didn't work out because they didn't innovate and they didn't stay ahead of the game. So I think it's the same across all of these, right? And... So you're saying innovation? Like, yeah, but... Or lack of innovation? But, or just a uniqueness. But innovation would be a phenomenal thing to do, right? They, the ones, they should have seen the writing on the wall a long time ago and they should have innovated and one of the ways they should have done that was come up with where they sit in the landscape and just double down on that, okay? Harris Scarf would have been better to cut their rents in half, stock half of the amount of products, really niche down into being amazing at those products, market that uniqueness, and they would, they would have half the overhead, half the wages, half the rent. They could probably put more product, more profitable products in there, and then I would actually be able to go, oh, yeah, I know that they are around for this type of stuff, yeah. right? Why did Masters fail? Because they went up against Bunnings and Ikea, but they weren't very good at being either of those. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were actually a blend of them both, but it didn't work because we already had Bunnings and Ikea. So, so in, the mind, in our mind, we just didn't think, oh, I go to Harris Scar for that. That's why no one went there, which is mm-hmm. why they ended up folding. Why do I go to Bardo? I mean, I've never been in a Bardo store, but I've walked past many. When I look inside, it's a white box with clothing on a rack. Well, if I want women's clothing on a rack, I can go to one of 52 places, yeah. right? So it's got to be something about the uniqueness that makes that business stand out, right? And, and, and these companies I'm listening don't have that. The only one that does is Flannery's because they're organic and Max Brenner. They were definitely unique. I think their issue was just too expensive. Okay. I think yeah. they just priced themselves out of the market and they could never get enough scale because they were too expensive. I remember Max Brenner, when it first opened, 
um, I actually put in a complaint, the first one I went to on a little card, because it was a dollar more to shop in there on a weekend than a weekday. What? Yes. And they were already expensive. They were really expensive. I remember it cost me $6.50 to get a coffee on a weekend and $5.50 during the week. And I, and I wrote down just going, guys, this is madness to penalize people on the day they're more likely to have the time to come in. Right? Anyway, went under, right? Because, you know, the, it's just not the same. And I think Flannery's would have been the same. I think if Flannery's could have worked out in their supply chain to be 20% cheaper, they probably would have probably been able to work it out. So I think USP is everything in retail. Like, like for example, I know, um, I know a young lady who runs a boutique clothing business at the top end of the Gold Coast, and she only really sells lace. Okay. Yep. Killing it. Why? Because if that's what I'm into, that's where I go. Yep. Now, if she tried to multiply that shop in every shopping center in Australia, it probably wouldn't work. Maybe it would, but, but because she's niched it down to this is what we do, in the mind of the masses, they're able to go, if I like that clothing, that's where I go because they specialize in it, right? Yeah, well, in, in the space of a shopping mall, I mean, I don't know about you, like this is how I shop. Most men shop this way is um, I know exactly what I'm going for. I know exactly what shop I'm going to and I'm in it and I'll go, I'll go in and get it. Yeah. Is, that then helps us be a little bit more targeted. I also think at Christmas time, shopping centers should put, just put a strip along the floor, which is the entrepreneur's lane, right? Like, like the masses can have the rest, but just give us a single file lane where we can move at entrepreneur speed, and <laughs> right? And not have, because like walk around and then, you know, oh, Auntie Martha's da-da-da-da, and they're talking about, you know, cucumbers up a bit more. And, and, and it's so painful to go to the shops this time of year. They just need to put a blue lane down the side, and it's the entrepreneur's lane, and we can just efficiently get in and get out as fast as we can. All right, did you have anything more to say? Because I want to flip to who's working, like what businesses are working. I actually, yeah, actually, I wanted to talk about, because going on, they've failed, but um, having a look at, um, like, the reject shop, right? There's something in the article, in the... Um, uh, in the paper today, where Andrew Reich, Reich who was used to be um, used to run Kmart and Target, and like he's been a part of all those, he's now been recruited to run Reject Shop, which is struggling. So I, I kind of like this. It's not the opposite end of the scale, but it's kind of the 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 step before that receivership. People got closing down, but this company going, we need help. We're struggling. Bringing in someone like that. What can they do? And I suppose that can lead on to the people that are doing well. What can they do in, in that sort of environment? So potentially nothing. Like, I mean, we've just listed some businesses that have gone under, but it could be, it could be as bad as 50% of retailers in Australia are that close anyway. Yeah. So, so, so that, that's a bigger concern, right? Because the whole landscape's hurting. Right? Yeah. I've had people message me saying, my foot traffic's down 50% and all those kind of things. Um, and so, so the economy is flat. Spending is flat. Now, that doesn't mean spending's backwards. That yeah. means it's the same as last year. But that's not the story people are having. Um, reject shop, the biggest problem they're up against is how many reject shops do we need? Yeah. They're not the only one. So what, what somebody needs to do, if, if any of the, because I mean, there's five or six brands of reject shops that are national, 
that someone needs to go on an acquisition hunt. You have to gobble them up because there's otherwise you're splitting the reject dollars between too many players. Yeah. So they somebody needs to come and go, did it, um, you know, whatever, reconcile the industry down to a few players, and then the dollars will be fine. But for you, when you're failing and you're up against the ropes, to go to a venture capital firm and say, you know, I need 200 million to go on a shopping spree, they're probably not going to want to back you because Especially it's retail. because it's fully risky. So, but the only way to do this is would would be to would be to condense the industry and go on an acquisitions hunt. So there's no, you don't believe this this CEO will be able to bring. Well, in I've got any no idea who he is, Mr. Reich. Um, but what could you possibly do? I mean, I don't know. Like, if they've got mounting debts, let's you know, which they probably do. I don't know if they do, but if they've got mounting debts, you, you've got to come. You've got to come back from a long way. Well, they've got a debt of his salary of eight hundred thousand. Um, well, you should pay more for a CEO <laughs> because you get peanuts. Um, here's another play that could play out: if they were to just trade water. 36 months, three years, everybody else may just fall over. Yep. And then they've effectively done the same thing without acquiring. So you, in, in those industries on the way out, you can be last man standing, right? So just thinking about the watcher right now who's got a shop in the middle of Australia who's struggling, hanging on is a pretty good strategy. Yep. Because the three other clothing shops that disappear in your town in the next 12 months means that your market share at the end is three times as big. So yep. that's, you know, that's a strategic play if ever there's one. Let's talk about the ones that are winning. So, um, Smiggle. Smiggle. Right? Yep. Unique. Right. <laughs> so, and, and by the way, up 22.7% on last year. Up 70% up over two years. Mm-hmm. Right? Global expansion um, and, and so Premier Investments is Solomon Liu, who started Just Jeans and the Just Group and JJ's and... Portman's and a few others. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, he actually, he's a big shareholder in Maya and he's an agitator because he reckons the whole board should step down. Um, <laughs> That'd be a fun meeting. So Smiggle up 22.7%. Peter Alexander, you know, the uh, clo- uh, sleep, sleep, sleepwear. Yeah, what yeah, do you yeah. call it? Like pajamas. Pajamas. <laughs> there <we> go. <laughs> 14.5%. Now they're part of the same group. So Peter Alexander and Smiggle are both premier investments. H&M is up 11%. Now, that's not including new stores. That's 11% on a store-by-store basis, okay? That's huge. Um, Here's what's interesting for me. So I looked at Premier Investments' latest uh, finance report to the stock exchange, and since, um, since 2013 to 2018, they've grown their online sales from 2.6% to 11 now, when 11% of your revenue comes online and you don't have the overhead, that's really interesting. Yeah. So Myron and David Jones are both sitting at 1% and 1.2% of sales coming online. They, they did a very bad job of, of seeing the digital move and now they're chasing their tail and they can't get it. So when 11% of your whatever $400 million revenue is online with no overhead, you are making some money there. Mm-hmm. So, so that's an interesting play that a lot of people aren't doing well. Um, MJ Bale the menswear clothing, the suit okay. retailer. Yep. Uh, they're doing incredibly well. Kiki K is absolutely killing it. And Seed, actually, the, the kid, the, the babies and mum's clothing shop is doing incredibly well. Each and every one of you said is unique. Right. They, they have a real niche. What about Apple? What about Nespresso? Mm-hmm. What about Lush? 
these are all companies that are going incredibly well right now. Yeah. So what do, this, this is where I wanted to go, right? This is the learning for everybody. What are Kiki K, MJ Bale, Apple Nespresso, Lush, Smiggle, Oriton, Peter Alexander, MJ Bale, Kiki K Seed, what do they have in common? They are unique in their marketplace and they give an experience when you shop there. So there is something about these retailers that have decided to do something different. For example, I went into Lush the other day, right? They make all the soaps and it is a hive of activity. There are, there are literally staff who are saying, hey, I'm about to grab this one off the shelf and fuzz it up and smell the soap and come and put your hands in it and feel it and rub all over your body. And they're happening through the store, like this hive of activity. Nespresso, get coffee. Apple, play with products. MJ Bale, they treat you like an old tailor, measure you all up, you know, draw it all out and stuff like that, right? And so when I, when I look at that and Smiggle, you know, the smell of the toys and the rubber and the Play-Doh and all that sort of stuff, it just gets you there. You know, Peter Alexander's got the bed, try it all on. So when I think about those, I'm like, not only, not only are we able to put those businesses in a box, right? Kiki K are running workshops in every shop all day long about how to be more organized and how do you... Then, and if you were to ask Kiki K what business they're in, they're not in stationery, they're into, you know, uh, improving people's lives through efficiency and stuff like that. Yeah. So... So they, they're focused on, they're unique, but they're focused on giving people an experience. experience. And that's what, I mean, what was the experience when you went into Roger David? Some, what was, gr some grumpy teenager <laughs> that didn't want to serve you. Esprit, Max Brenner, Ed Harry, you know, Bardot. What, what, like when you think about walking into Lush where there's this hive of activity and they're all excited and they're high on the fumes of the soap and you walk into Bardot, which is a box with clothes on shelves, what's the experience? That's why it went under. Because the dollars don't go far enough to go to a company that people can't remember or, or can't associate with. Yeah. So the way you take this is you go, I've got to, I've got to absolutely double down on the experience in my retail store. I've got to bring in a DJ. I've got, I mean, that wouldn't work for everybody, but I've got to, I've got to do something that gives people, leaves people an indelible impression that says, I have a great experience here. Right? And then once you do that, then your customers will become sticky and you'll be unique. And yes, yes, retail is hard, but if you actually, now this is a bit harsh, the people that are suffering are the ones doing it badly. Yeah. They're not innovating. They're not thinking for their customer. They're trying to do business as usual, and it's not. So one more stat, just to be fun. By 2025, 2025. which is five minutes away, yep. right, in this scale, in the scheme of mm -hmm. things, 45% of the purchases of global luxury goods will be by millennials and Gen Z. Ne 40. Nearly, nearly 50. Yeah, 50. So nearly 50% 50 of all purchases will be millennials and Gen Z. Now, why is that important? Because they don't want to go. In fact, they are, they are channel agnostic. They're yeah. not romantic about going to a shopping center. Yeah. They're not romantic about walking through a luxury store. They're romantic about being seen with the product, yeah. not the experience of shopping. So they'll just buy it. They'll buy it any way they want to as long as they get the outcome they're looking for, Right. Um, you know, gone are the days where like very few girls go shopping with millennials. That's just not what they would rather be doing. So, so for them, they're, they're just, give me the product. So do you feel that those millennials are going to be buying, are, are going to be like brand loyal to who's been investing in them now? Or like, what do you, how do you see that playing out? I, I see them. Um, I see, I see the millennials in their shopping in two massive extremes and nothing in the middle. Yeah. I see them op shopping it, buying clothes that have been upcycled, 
you know, shopping with the, the, the really basic, simple brands, right? Like the Academy brand and those have got nothing on them. They're just, yeah. they're just really, they're affordable clothing. Or they want Tiffany & Co., you know, Vulgari. Yeah. They, want, they, want to be, they want to have some bling in their Supreme. life. Yeah, yeah. But, but they're not shopping in middle retail. Did you know that this show goes onto Facebook, it goes onto YouTube, it goes onto Instagram, it goes onto iTunes, and it goes onto LinkedIn? Do me a favor, would you? Tell more people about the show so that I can spread the message. Love ya, see ya.